Hello, I'm Anthony Fury. Thank you for joining us for the latest episode of Full Comet. It has been a tumultuous time in Canadian news, politics, and COVID-19 developments, often in a very intertwined way. And one of the political fallouts from all of this is that a conservative leadership race has begun after the Conservative caucus voted former leader Aaron O'Toole out. The first person to declare their candidacy is Conservative MP for the riding of Carleton, Pierre Polyev. Pierre joins us now. Hey, Pierre, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Anthony. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us right out of the gate. I got to ask, you're running for conservative leader. In your video there where you announced your candidacy, you actually said, I'm running for prime minister. Tell me, why do you want to be conservative leader now? Why do you want to be prime minister? I want to be prime minister. Well, I'll start again. I want to be conservative leader so that I can be prime minister. And I want to be prime minister so that I can give people back control of their lives by making Canada the freest place on earth. And have we lost control of our lives recently? Yes in countless ways. Uh, let's start with uh, non-COVID examples. Um, the vast majority of Canadians under 30 can't afford a house because socialist local politicians block construction to limit supply. And socialist federal politicians are printing money like crazy to inflate demand. So prices have ballooned for something the average Canadian simply cannot afford. So in the country with among the biggest landmass on earth, people don't have the freedom to own a home. Um, immigrants are, are blocked by bureaucratic gatekeepers from working in the very professions for which they were trained, are qualified, and are needed. First Nations face governmental obstacles to developing their own resources. Folks on disability who want to get a job and earn their way out of uh, poverty lose 80 cents on the dollar to clawbacks and taxes, keeping them permanently trapped below the poverty line. Small businesses drowned in restrictions and red tape. And I haven't even gotten to all of the government overreach from COVID, where uh, the businesses have been perpetually shut down, people's bodily autonomy has been violated. And, uh, of course, uh, the government has taken advantage of all of that to try and censor the Internet. So in countless ways, government is taking control of people's lives away from them and putting it in the hands of uh, politicians and elites. And that's exactly what I want to reverse. I want to unleash free enterprise so small businesses can start up and spend more time serving customers and hiring workers. Uh, I want to um, reduce taxes so people keep more of their paychecks. I, I intend to incentivize provinces to speed up recognition of immigrant credentials so newcomers work in the professions for which they are trained, give First Nations control over their own land so they can welcome resource development and harvest their own uh, land for their, to escape from poverty. Uh, I, I'm going to make government smaller to make citizens bigger and make Canada the freest country on earth. I want to pick up on a number of those structural moments, more sort of long-term issues uh, coming up in a few minutes. But first, I want to talk about the COVID situation we're at right now in Canada, talking about overbearing, overreaching COVID rules. A lot of people taking to the streets, some of them in protests, others with their trucks, saying, end all mandates now. Basically, end the COVID rules. Let people uh, exercise free choice moving forward. Do we now at this point at uh, the beginning of February, do we need to end COVID rules? Do we need to end mandates across Canada? Yes. Just peel them all back? 
Yeah, look, I, there's some room for some from small common sense um, guidelines to keep people safe. Uh, but uh, like, you know, for example, I don't have a problem having a piece of small piece of piece of cloth on my face when I'm in a small enclosed area with a very large number of people. But beyond that, I think we should just leave it to people's common sense to behave responsibly. You know, I don't think we should force people to be vaccinated. I, I don't think we should uh, limit how businesses operate. I think we can allow people to go back into coffee shops and restaurants uh, trust them to wash their hands and uh, avoid any excessively risky behavior uh, based on their own personal common sense rather than uh, a bossy leviathan state that goes around telling everybody what they can and can't do. What do you make of the trucker's convoy that first made its way to Ottawa? Well, two weeks ago now, uh, people who had earnest grievances about what's going on. I know they've been complaining about the situation for some time. The trucker's convoy began as a very particular grievance against the vaccine mandate for truckers, and it's expanded to be more a symbol, I think, of people of all walks of life who have various different frustrations with different elements of the COVID rules. It, it's certainly uh, taken the city of Ottawa by, I don't know if surprise is the right term, but people use a lot of terms like under siege and occupation. I mean, how, how should we think about this situation right now? All, all these people speaking up uh, very firmly, unapologetically saying, look, we, we're not going away. We're not going to stop protesting until uh, these overbearing rules go away. I'm proud of the truckers and I stand with them. The uh, They have reached a breaking point. After two years of massive government overreach of a prime minister who insults and degrades anyone who disagrees with his heavy-handed approach, uh, Canadians have finally had it. And they're speaking up, and they're not putting up with it anymore. It's his fault, though. Let's be honest. If, if Canadians are being inconvenienced or, uh, or in any way suffering from these protests, it is because Justin Trudeau made these protests happen, and his intransigence is keeping the protests going. One of the things that's remarkable is that the, the vaccine mandate for truckers only came about in January 2022. It's not something that was brought in right when vaccines were made available, back when I think there was more unified opinion that, okay, COVID's you know, a really serious issue here. We got to bring all bring all these rules in. It was almost brought in right when other jurisdictions were, were getting rid of the rules, but instead Trudeau decided to layer them on. Was it even necessary to get to this point? No. I mean, there's no science backing this up. Even... When uh, Theresa Tam, the chief uh, medical officer of the Trudeau government, was asked, give us the evidence that mandating vaccines on individuals who spend 22 hours a day all by themselves in a truck would do any good for public health, she couldn't provide any. And in fact, she didn't even really endorse the mandate at all. So. It sounded, it looked to me like Trudeau imposed this trucker mandate as a vindictive wedge strategy to divide Canadians and demonize a an apparently unpopular minority of unvaccinated people to his own political advantage. But now it's blown up in his face uh, from a political point of view. He is uh, backed into a corner where he's defending an utterly irrational and unscientific decision um, it, it, only because he doesn't want to be seen backing down to the protests that he provoked in the first place. So he has gotten himself into an impossible political situation 
And uh, unfortunately, the rest of the country is held hostage by his unwillingness uh, to do, do the right thing, admit he was wrong and lift these mandates. What would you do differently if you were in this position right now, if you were in Trudeau's position? I'd lift the mandates. And I know there are a number of observers saying, well, that sets a precedent because that says that anybody who comes to the nation's capital, anyone who comes to Ottawa, they just need to set up a blockade, bring their vehicles or or whatever they're doing, and they're going to get what they want. So they're concerned that this creates some sort of a moral hazard to encourage this subsequent behavior. What do you say in response uh, to the people saying that? Well, are those people really saying we should keep in place an unscientific and nonsensical mandate just out of spite? against protesters if we really want to get if one why don't we do the right thing and at the same time put an end to the protests right now i've heard a lot of people say the conservative party it's the party of law and order that usually doesn't have too much tolerance uh for this sort of stuff because i guess there are uh a number of rules that are being broken right now by this convoy uh, situation in ottawa how, how do you respond uh, to those accusations well, I've always said I don't believe I believe that you can fight for your own freedom, but uh, your freedom stops where mine begins. And so I, I encourage the truckers to um, follow the law, behave responsibly, don't inhibit the freedom of movement of other people. But at the same time, the vast majority of truckers and their supporters have been peaceful, law-abiding, uh, joyful, decent, patriotic people despite the dishonest uh, propaganda of uh, the, the liberal press gallery on Parliament Hill. So you think the press gallery plays a big role in it? It's not just Justin Trudeau. I know he did his tweet where he accused the protesters of being Islamophobic and transphobic and six or seven other accusations in there, but you would uh, you would add the press gallery and, and, uh, and the broader media landscape into the mix? Yeah, because I've, uh, listen, yesterday, they say, so the entire city is shut down. Yesterday, I went to Parliament Hill. It took me an extra minute and a half to get to my, to get to work from the suburbs of Ottawa. Uh, You know, um, there are, the vast majority of the protesters are just peaceful, law-abiding. They're walking around with Canadian flags draped over their shoulders. They are multiracial. They are very young. Uh, they come in all shapes and sizes, and none of that is reflected in the torqued uh, um, media coverage that the press gallery has put forward. Uh, and uh, I think they obviously have an agenda, which is to demonize, once again, the same way they demonized people who didn't get vaccinated, now they're demonizing anybody who protests the mandates. Uh, and, you know, the good news is that I think the press gallery is just losing earlobes and eyeballs. People are looking for other forms of information because they're recognizing that what they're seeing from the mainstream media is mostly garbage. I was, uh, yesterday I stopped uh, on my way home to get some food at the local shawarma shop and young uh, Muslim gentleman came out. He said, I wanted to see what all the fuss was about. So I went downtown and saw the protests and I thought they were kind, generous, lawful and peaceful people. And I, it was nothing like what I saw in the media. And I think increasingly Canadians are seeing the difference between what the media tells them and what's actually true. And that is allowing, I think that will allow uh, other media voices to to garner more audience. Uh, now, we have seen this 
I guess, quantified a little bit in various surveys and studies out there. There's something called the Edelman Trust Barometer that they do every year. There's another organization that recently put out a survey looking at trust in our institutions and finding that it has really dropped quite a lot uh, from 2020 to 2022 now. Uh, just, you know, double digit drops in terms of trust for for politicians in general, for government, for public health officials. I believe the media was in there as well. And, and really low trust levels. It, it seems like we have a problem right now with, with I, I don't know if the term legitimacy of our institutions is the right way to frame it. Well, how would you frame it? What, how would you describe this phenomenon? Well, I think the elites have misled Canadians. And as a result, Canadians are questioning uh, their, the honesty of what they're hearing from the elites. And it's, it's, you know, and, and the elites can get angry and say uh, that they are entitled to be trusted, but they're, nobody's entitled to force someone else to trust them. Trust is earned. And when the media reports dishonestly, about events when they act as basically a, a a large part of the liberal press gallery on Parliament Hill is nothing more than a mouthpiece for the PMO, and when everyday people see the difference between the real facts and what's reported, it is understandable that they're going to uh, turn their trust to other voices, and then that's what we're seeing. Give me a specific example, because I got to stand up a bit for my colleagues here. I was very briefly in the parliamentary press gallery a number of years ago. I haven't lived in Ottawa for quite some time here. What specifically do you mean? There's no doubt that there's pack journalism, that there's kind of narratives that people are very nervous to deviate from. Uh, There's a lot of sort of follower stuff going on instead of leading in terms of covering a story in a different way. But what do you mean when you say they're mouthpieces for the PMO? I'll give you two examples. So uh, just the other day... uh John Baird, who's supporting my campaign for prime minister, went on Global News and Mercedes Stevenson said that I was uh, misleading Canadians by saying that Trudeau's government had raised taxes. Baird pointed out that, in fact, payroll taxes went up on January 1st. And she said, oh, yes, well, that was a scheduled increase. Well, (laughs) still a tax Hmm. increase. (laughs) I never said that, that, that Trudeau's tax increases were unscheduled. I said they were tax increases. Um, But she tried to slip in that falsehood to discredit me. That's just one example. Um, Another example is CBC suggested that the truckers were instigated by Russian actors. And she provided no evidence of that. I mean, she has if she has evidence of that, she should say so. But for her to just right. th- lob that out there on national television with no proof is, one, an example of state media attacking its own citizens, and two, makes the CBC look like uh, like it's uh, uh, spreading cons- misinformation and conspiracy theories. What does this mean then for the fabric of our democracy um, all the things that you have said, because there's going to be obviously great, great disagreement uh, among some people about what you've just said here. But but w- what does it mean when you can have, and, and I, I see this, I see this in, in people I correspond with, I see this in, in my own life in terms of just, you know, the people I know, neighbors and friends, that that depending on where you get your news from, you're increasingly seeing the world in completely different ways right now. And, and I think that is almost exacerbating some of the frictions and tensions out there. 
Well, it is unfortunate, and it would be nice if uh, the press gallery had some balance and then everybody could tune into it. But what they seem to want is a world where we all are obliged to, to cover, read their reporting, even though it's completely one-sided and liberal. Um, you know, there was a time when, you know, many, many years ago, when Canadians could open a newspaper, or read a news story, and have no idea what the politics of the author were. Uh, that time, definitely when it comes to the press gallery on Parliament Hill, that time is, is now gone. Uh, now it could come back and maybe maybe some of the, the liberal journalists and their their publications will come to the view that they need to be more objective in order to regain the lost confidence of Canadians. I think that would be good for democracy. And if they did that, I would applaud them. So you're not just saying this as someone who's a, a media critic and observer of the media scene. You're saying this as someone who's just announced you're running to be the next prime minister, to be the next leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Uh, one of the ways that I guess you would go about being successful in that is talking to Canadians through some of these media outlets. There's there's many other ways, of course, now to talk to individuals. And, and I think everyone in the media landscape is well aware that uh, more and more people are getting their information from alternative media, that, that CBC ratings are declining every year. But, but still, there are millions of people who do still... Uh, almost exclusively access their news through those conduits. So so how do you navigate that, given what you've just said, that you feel you're likely not to get a fair shake through them? Go directly to Canadians. Like social media? Well, the, the video that I used to launch my campaign for prime minister, in which I told the country that I want uh, Canadians to regain control of their lives uh, and Canada to become the freest country on earth, uh, got six million views on social media. That's probably ten times bigger than the CBC National evening broadcast. That's a lot of views. Six million views. Yeah, well, you can look at the analytics online. Check out my my Twitter, my Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. The numbers are all public. So we talk about Canadians being divided in terms of the media issues, which brings us, I think, to a bigger bigger issue the nation faces now, or at least a lot of people say the nation faces this issue. Justin Trudeau's playing it up in some ways, downplaying it in other ways. The notion of a divided Canada. Pierre Polyev, would you say that Canada is divided right now? And, and if so, what is the remedy? Well, Canada has never been so divided as it is now six years into the Trudeau uh, government. Um, he has turned, he's pitted East against West. He has tried to divide Canadians on the basis of race and gender. We shouldn't be terribly surprised, given the Prime Minister's own ugly racist history, uh, that he would be such a divisive figure in, the, in that way. Um, he has uh, divided Canadians along vaccine um, status. Uh, he insults and name calls people who have legitimate questions about his COVID policies. Uh, and we, we see uh, families have been torn asunder by the, by the resulting in, uh, climate that he has created. But that's okay. that, 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 is, that is unfortunate, but we can turn it around. We can unite through freedom. We can restore our freedoms in this country, uh, give people back control of their lives, uh, let the, send out the message that every Canadian is welcome in, in the Canadian family. Uh, and uh, unleash uh, individual opportunities so everybody feels like they have a stake in the future. That's how, that's how we turn the corner on this thing 
and reunite our country, which I will do as Prime Minister. We'll be back in just a moment with more full comment after this. Pierre Pauly, have you said every Canadian is welcome, that that is the, the issue, that is, that is what needs to be said, sort of moving forward, dealing with the unity issues, talking about your run for leader of Conservative Party uh, of Canada. Every Canadian is welcome. What does that mean in the context of running for the leadership? Because it's a big blue tent and we often hear conversations about all these disparate voices coming together, economic conservative, social conservative, libertarian, definitely a lot of people with uh, frustrations from Western regions, Western caucus members. How do you look at the conservative big, big blue tent and all those, all those perhaps disparate voices? I look at the single principle that unites them all. Which is? Freedom. Freedom. Social conservatives want the freedom to raise their families with biblical or other traditional values. Some people of different faiths would like to raise their their families with their traditional values, whether they're Hindu, Muslim, Jewish, uh, or otherwise. They want the freedom to teach their kids their own values, to espouse their faith in their own fora, and to be free from government interfering with any of that. They should have the freedom to do that. I stood up for the freedom of social conservative charities that Prime Minister Trudeau attacked when he, they wouldn't support his view uh, on abortion. Uh, and they, he tried to take away their summer jobs. I opposed that because I believe people should have the freedom to, to believe what they want. Fiscal conservatives want economic freedom, the freedom to work hard, share the fruits of your labor with your family and your neighbors rather than having it confiscated by the government, to start a business which focuses on paying wages and serving customers rather than filling out paperwork for government. Uh, they want the freedom for First Nations to harvest their own resources, the, the freedom for immigrants to work in the professions for which they are qualified and needed rather than being blocked by government gatekeepers. Um, Red Tories want to see the freedom for gays and lesbians and women to live their own lives and make their own uh, personal decisions without any government interference. Uh, and, and so the you know, and, and Quebec nationalists, frankly, want uh, the freedom to uh, to make their own decisions in their own jurisdiction without interference from a overbearing federal government in Ottawa. So the single unifying principle that pulls all conservatives together, regardless of which part of the coalition they come from, is freedom. And I just want to clarify, when you say Quebec nationalist, you're, you're not meaning the same thing as Quebec separatist there. You're saying that there's room for, for Quebec nationalists in your party, and you encourage that? Well, yeah, there always has been. I mean, the separatist is a different word than nationalist. Separatists uh, want to create their own separate country. Uh, obviously, that is not going to happen. I am a federalist, I believe, in one Canada, which includes Quebec. But people who have a, an affinity to the Quebec nation, which is uh, recognized by Canada's parliament, have a place in the Conservative Party. As Prime Minister Harper put it in a motion which I voted for, uh, Quebec is a nation within a united Canada. And um, we believe in a, in a small federal government within a decentralized federation where 
provinces, including Quebec, have the autonomy to make more decisions within their jurisdiction. Now, you've basically just said, okay, everybody welcome in the big blue tent. You want to bring everyone together. Although I've heard a lot of complaints from uh, various people in conservative party grassroots and federal conservative, different provincial parties who say, you know what, a a person talks a big game during a leadership race. And then when they become uh, the leader, when they're running in the general election, we find things look a little different. And there were complaints about Aaron O'Toole in that regard. He uh, said uh, quite firmly that he was against cancel culture when he was running for leader last time. Then we saw a little bit of canceling going on, on a couple candidates pulled uh, from their writings people felt like there was a bit of a bait and switch in terms of uh, in terms of that approach uh, is, is everything that you're going to be saying as leader is that something that people can take to the bank later on or you, you know what, what do you say to people who go pierre i, I you know do, are you going to walk this stuff back later well i'm running on things that i can stay true to before and after the leadership race so what you're seeing now is what you're going to see after I become leader and after I become prime minister. A couple more questions about the the big tent idea. I've heard some people already say that uh, while they feel you were already coming out of the gate very strong, I've heard the phrase coronation being bandied about. Uh, there is still uh, the idea that perhaps you're a conservative conservative and some people would like to see a progressive conservative enter the fray. Someone such as Peter McKay or or I saw my, my post-media columnist colleague Tasha Carradine said that she was uh, kicking the tires uh, considering a, a bid. What, what do you make of that dichotomy, the, the split between a progressive conservative and then, well, and then you? I don't follow those labels. Uh, I believe in maximizing the freedom of the Canadian people, putting them back in control of their own lives, making them the authors of their own stories. Uh, That to me is what conservatism is about. And I believe every wing of the party can rally around that unifying principle. There's one label, though, that uh, we got to accept because it's a it's a legitimate label. It's a formal political party. It got five percent of the vote in the 20 uh, in the 2021 election. The PPC, Maxime Bernier's party, 850,000 votes. Uh, like I said, five percent of the vote, double what the Green Party got. As you know, Maxime Bernier uh, almost became conservative leader up against Andrew Scheer. He just narrowly lost. And that's a lot of votes, 850,000 votes. Do we need to unite the right in Canada? I'm not going to talk about left and right because I, I don't think it's actually a good way to describe the electorate. It's The electorate is a, a multidimensional and it isn't uh, on a linear spectrum despite what we learn in school. But what I will say is this. There are a lot of People's Party supporters who stood up and uh, spoke up because of legitimate frustrations that they've experienced particularly since the government's overreach during the pandemic. And I, I have, I approached these people with total humility to listen to what to listen to their concerns. They are decent people. I met them on the doorstep in my riding. They're decent, honorable people who want control of their own lives. What they will get from Pierre Polyev as a prime minister who will make them once again masters of their own fate uh, and authors of their own story. 
there's going to be a lot of people listening in who like a lot of the things you've said, a lot of people listening in who, who don't necessarily agree with everything you've said. Lots of swing voters out there. And I don't just mean, obviously, in the leadership race, people swing between different candidates, but in the general election as well, should you, when the leadership go on to be prime minister, what is your message to, to all those individuals out there? Well, look, I, I just think that we have to, I don't think that a lot of the the political class appreciate the way that the working class people have been flattened in this country over the last several years. Uh, you know, like I went to a trailer park that's about five minutes from my house when I was campaigning in the election. I met a young couple, they work at a quarry, and they make a hundred grand between them. And they have calculated that they will never be able to leave the trailer and own their own home because it now costs seven, $800,000 to buy a property. Um, that is astonishing in a country like Canada, which has the 10th biggest landmass per capita in the world, second biggest raw landmass on earth. We have more land than where there's no one than we do where there's anyone. And yet we have 33, 34 year old people with decent jobs who've done exactly what they, we told them they should do who now are, are face the prospect of being permanent tenants to corporate and multimillionaire landlords uh, with no hope of ever escaping and building their own personal equity. Uh, this is going to be the single biggest contributor to inequality uh, and class divisions in this country. And the way we do it is uh, we undo that problem is to unleash the private sector to build more housing, get the governments out of the way and let builders build and stop creating all this easy cash to inflate housing prices. In other words, we need to start building houses and stop printing money. And that's one of, going to be one of the key freedoms that I will champion throughout the leadership race and as prime minister. Lots of tensions out there, lots of headaches, frustrations, bad headlines about, to your point, rising cost of living. But are you ultimately optimistic that that things can be turned around? Absolutely. Um, the uh, This country was founded on our ancient liberties that go back hundreds of years. We've had governments, uh, we've had terrible governments in, in years gone by, most notably the first Trudeau. And yet we turned it around. And uh, we replaced those governments and undid their policies, unleashed free enterprise so Canadians could, uh, workers could earn more, businesses could hire more, and we could build more. Um, we, we created a, a country where three or 400,000 people a year want to come as a beacon of freedom. Um, all of this is possible again uh, with a new government and a, a prime minister determined to put Canadians back in charge of their own lives and to make the country the freest on earth. Pierre Polyev, it's been an interesting conversation. Thanks so much for joining us today. Excellent. Great to be with you. All the best. Thank you. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. I'm Anthony Fury. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. You can listen through the app or your Alexa-enabled devices. You can help us by giving us a rating or a review and by telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening.